Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. We can become prideful and we can think that all of our success or all of our prosperity in life is the result of our own work, our own doing, that it's all all us, it's all by our own hand. In Ephraim, that was their sin. Their sin was pride. They forgot the Lord, and they thought that all of their prosperity was due to themselves, not the fact that God had put them in a very fertile, rich land. Today, Pastor Dan warns us not to become too prideful about our successes or good fortune, as this comes from God's doing, not our own. Yes, you may have worked very hard to get that job, buy that house, own that company, or save that money. But Jesus gave you the means to do so. He gave you the intelligence, the personality, the opportunities, and the drive to attain your goals. So, Pastor Dan asks you to consider this the next time you begin feeling a sort of self-importance or superiority about your situation. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Isaiah 28, as we pick up our study uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we're also going to look at a few passages in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, so if you want to mark those in your Bible as well. Well, Isaiah 28 begins a, a new subdivision in the book of Isaiah, chapters 28 to 33, in the book of Isaiah, contain uh, six woes to the people of Ephraim and to the people of Judah. And God declares these woes to the people because they have despised God's word, as we'll see. That's kind of their big mistake. They're rejecting God's word. And um, if you remember, just as a, a refresher, Israel is divided at this point into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom that is referred to as Israel or Ephraim. uh, And then there's the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah. And Isaiah the prophet was in the southern kingdom. He's, He's ministering in the southern kingdom in Judah. He's in the city of Jerusalem. Um, And in chapter 28, Isaiah begins here by addressing the sins of the northern kingdom And then when we get to verse 7, Isaiah will switch his focus to the southern kingdom. He begins by denouncing the sins of the northern kingdom. He does that as an example to the southern kingdom. He's not really speaking to the northern kingdom. He's speaking to the southern kingdom. And and he's addressing the northern kingdom's sins as an example to the southern kingdom. Uh, Again, the, the, the purpose of this is so that the southern kingdom will learn from the mistakes of the northern kingdom. So they won't commit the same sins. That's the hope, but they're going to commit the same sins as the northern kingdom. So it's as if the Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah to the southern kingdom, look at what has happened to the northern kingdom because of their sin. Look at how things turned out for them. You don't want the same thing to happen to you. Uh, so heed, heed the warning. Let it be an example to you of what not to do. And we see in the New Testament, for example, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul tells us 
that the things that are recorded in the Old Testament about the children of Israel and their rebellion against God and the consequences of their rebellion, Paul tells us those things are written as an example to us, to warn us not to do the same things because we'll have a similar outcome in our lives. And so here in verse 1, again, he, he begins with the northern kingdom. But again, it's just as an example to the southern kingdom. And he says in verse 1, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. Ephraim was the largest tribe in the northern kingdom. And so here Ephraim is another name for the northern kingdom. Whose glorious beauty is a fading flower which is at the head of the verdant valleys to those who are overcome with wine. Ephraim was once a a beautiful flower, but in Isaiah's days, its beauty was fading fast. Their glory is fading like a flower, and they're not going to be around much longer. Pretty soon they're going to be gone, conquered by Assyria. Now, the capital of the northern kingdom was Uh, Samaria, and Samaria was once a glorious city. It was situated on a hilltop at the head of a verdant valley, as it's mentioned here in verse 1. The verdant valleys, in the King James it says the fat valleys. Uh, Samaria was surrounded by this rich, fertile land, these fertile valleys that were ideal for farming. And because it was at the head of the valleys, it was in a very strategic location. Uh, they could control all of the travel and all of the trade that, that passed through that valley. People in the ancient world in Israel, they traveled through the valleys because it was too difficult to go up and over the mountain ranges. And so Samaria was in a strategic location and they could control all of the travel through those valleys, making them very prosperous. And the description that God gives here in verse 1 of Ephraim and Samaria specifically, it's telling us that, that God greatly blessed Samaria and God greatly blessed Ephraim. He, he strategically placed them in a rich land. God set them up for success. God set them up for prosperity. But tragically, they wasted the blessings of God. There's a lot of people that do that too. God, by His grace, blesses a person and gives them a lot of opportunities, a lot of skills, a lot of open doors, and a person just wastes it, squanders it. And that was the northern kingdom. They, they wasted the blessings that God had given them. And He tells us here in verse 1, they, they were wasted by their pride and by alcohol. Uh, in verse 1, Isaiah says they wore a crown of pride. They were prideful. They were proud. Uh, You know, the Bible gives us many warnings against pride. The Bible says that God resists the proud. In Proverbs 6, it says that God hates pride, and it's an abomination to the Lord. Back in Deuteronomy, if you want to turn back to Deuteronomy with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is before uh, the children of Israel entered into the promised land, and God warned them, even before they came into the land, about the danger of pride. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, it says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley 
and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Remember, as, as God is saying this to the children of Israel, where are they living right now? In tents in the desert. <laughs> They're desert dwellers. Man, a, a land with, with hills and valleys and water and fountains and springs. A land with wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey. That sounds wonderful to people living out in the desert in tents. It says in verse 9, it's a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Remember, they had scarcity in the desert. Remember that God would give them manna, but it would be just enough manna for the day. And then the next day, he would give them just enough manna for that day. The generation that enters the promised land, they were born and raised in the desert. They had always lived with just enough. And now God is promising them to bring them into a land that's without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. And think about uh, if you've been camping before. And when you go camping, you, you kind of have just, just the things that you bring with you. So you're always lacking something. You kind of have to make do with what you have. And they've been camping for 40 years out in the desert and just kind of making do. And now the Lord promises them that they're going to come into a land where they lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Verse 11, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Uh, Verse 11, I'm sorry. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them when you're prospering, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, that's pride, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Here the Lord says, when you come into the land and you have all of this blessing and all of this abundance and all of this prosperity that the Lord is giving you, don't let your heart be lifted up and don't forget the Lord. And then look down in verse 17. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth, pride. We can become prideful and we can think that all of our success or all of our prosperity in life is the result of our own work, our own doing, that it's all, all us, it's all by our own hand. In Ephraim, that was their sin. Their sin was pride. They forgot the Lord and they thought that all of their prosperity was due to themselves, not the fact that God had put them in a very fertile, rich land, uh, and God had, had placed them strategically there to prosper them. They thought it was all, all due to themselves and their own works, their own doing. And that was, so that was one of their sins. The other one, if you go back to chapter 28 of Isaiah, is, is alcohol. It says in verse 1, they were overcome with wine. The word overcome here, it can be translated struck down or pounded by wine. Alcohol brought down the northern kingdom. Drinking brought down the northern, northern kingdom. Uh, their, their, their glorious beauty was fading on account of alcohol. 
The nation was going down the tubes. They were facing the judgment of God. And what were the people doing? They were drinking. <laughs> they, were, they were just getting snockered all the time. You know, uh, one, one uh, author I read said when they, when they should have been praying, they were partying. You know, they were, they were just drinking. They're just getting, getting bombed, getting drunk, not, not thinking about what was happening in their nation at all. And if you remember back in chapter 24 and verse 11, uh, it, was, it told us there that during the tribulation period, that people will be out in the streets looking for alcohol during the tribulation. Where can I get a drink? Where can I find some booze during the tribulation period? You know, in the, in the Proverbs... Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 6, it says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart, to those who are about to perish. You can give them a drink. So Ephraim here, their, their, their sin is pride, and their other sin is alcohol. And the Bible, again, it warns us about the dangers of alcohol, not just drunkenness, but the Bible warns us about the danger of alcohol. Just drinking in general. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker and deceiver. It doesn't say that drunkenness is a mocker and a deceiver, which it is, but it says wine is a mocker and a deceiver. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Wine enslaves the heart. Uh, again, in Proverbs chapter 31, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. You know, leaders shouldn't drink alcohol unless they forget the law, it says. They don't rule the people justly. It goes on here in verse 2, Behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with his hand, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim will be trampled underfoot. And the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees, and he eats it up while it is still in his hand. This is speaking of Assyria. Assyria is going to come and invade the northern kingdom, and Assyria will wipe them out like a flood of water just overflowing the land will be the invading army of Assyria, and Ephraim will be trampled underfoot and destroyed and carried away as slaves. And look at verse 4 again. It, it describes here the first fruits. Do you see that? The first fruits before the summer, which an observer sees, and he eats it up while it's still in his hand. The first fruits here, it's referring to the first figs or the early figs of the season. Your translation might even say figs there, the early figs. This, you know, this is one of the things that I personally love about the Bible is the way that it uses uh, geography and agriculture to communicate its message in a way that uh, the people of Israel that lived in that time, they, they totally understood uh, what Isaiah was saying. It's kind of lost on us, but they understood what he was referring to. This was something very familiar to them. Uh, the early figs appeared in the springtime, just before summer, and a tree would get just a few figs, maybe a couple, two or three, 
early figs on the tree. The rest of the figs would come later on in the summer. But these early figs, where there would only be two or three of them on the tree, they were the sweetest figs. And they were the most desired figs. They were the most delicious figs. But there weren't enough to harvest them. And so if you happen to see one on a tree, it was a delight. You take it and you eat it right there on the spot. It wasn't something that you would, you would harvest or try to collect and save because there just weren't enough of them. If you look at the verse again, that, that's what Isaiah is describing. He says, when you see one on the tree, you, you pick it and you eat it immediately. You don't save it. And he's, he's saying here that the northern kingdom will be like one of those early figs to the Assyrians. When the Assyrians come, they're going to delight in taking them. They're going to delight in conquering them. Verse 5 says, In that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Ephraim's glory was fading fast, but not God's glory. Just because Ephraim was about to fall, doesn't mean that God's kingdom is about to fall. His glory is not fading. His glory remains. And we see here that he also has a remnant in Ephraim. Even as Ephraim is is going down, he still has a a remnant in the land. So now that brings us to verse 7. And so now, after stating uh, why Ephraim's glory was fading, now Isaiah switches his attention to the southern kingdom. Remember, he was just telling us about the northern kingdom as an example, as a warning to the southern kingdom of what was bringing that kingdom down. And so now he switches to the southern kingdom of Judah, and Isaiah is in Judah. He lives in Judah. He's writing to Judah. He just used Ephraim as an example. And so now he says to Judah, but they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Judah was caught up in the very same sin that brought down the northern kingdom. They're doing the same thing. They also erred through wine and intoxicating drink. They also were going astray. They were out of the way, it says. That means they were on the wrong path. And he's warning them, saying, look at what happened to the northern kingdom because of their pride and because of their drinking and how that brought them down. And you're doing the same thing. And it's going to have the same result if you don't repent of it, if you don't turn from it. Look at verse 7 again. Verse 7 tells us the priests and the prophets, the religious leaders, the leaders of the nation of the southern kingdom of Judah had also gone astray through drinking. It says they were swallowed up by wine. Now the priests represented the people to God at the temple. They would go before God's presence on behalf of the people. The prophets represented God to the people. And both the priests and the prophets were swallowed up by wine. They're they're drunkards. The leaders of the nation, the people that speak to God on behalf of the people, and the people that speak to the people on behalf of God, they're, they're all swallowed up by wine. Uh, Go with me back to Leviticus 10. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And here in Leviticus 10, if you're familiar with the chapter, this is when the sons of Aaron, the high priest, Nadab and Abihu, this is when they offered strange fire on the altar and God struck them down for offering strange fire on the altar in the tabernacle. And then immediately after that, God establishes a prohibition for the priests against drinking alcohol. And so some believe that Nadab and Abihu had been drinking before they offered the strange fire on the altar. And that's why God now introduces this prohibition for the priests. If you look at Leviticus 10, verse 9, speaking to the priests, the sons of Aaron, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You, speaking to Aaron, nor your sons with you who also served as priests, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that, here's why you shouldn't drink, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. So here the Lord says to Aaron and his sons who were the priests, don't drink alcohol. Because if you drink alcohol, it's going to impair your judgment, as we all know. And you will not be able to distinguish between what is holy and unholy and what is unclean and what is clean. You'll you'll lose your judgment. It'll cloud your judgment, as alcohol does. And when a person drinks, they have a hard time distinguishing between what's clean and unclean, what's good and what's bad, or what's a what's right and what's wrong. And so the priests in the Old Testament, they were forbidden, they were prohibited from drinking. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth.